What is up, everybody, and welcome to the All NBA Podcast, part of the All City Network. I'm your host, Adam Mattis. We got a lot of games to get to today. Five games on the NBA slate, some really big storylines. I'm your host, Adam Mattis, and I am joined by the man with the unfortunate birthday, day after Christmas. Tough break, but happy <laughs> birthday nonetheless. Nonetheless, Tim Legler, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. It's my 57th time doing this, so I'm kind of used to like this being not that important to most people. I get it. I get it. Yesterday was a big day. Uh, the yeah. only person who probably had it worse is my mom, who went into the hospital on Christmas Day to have That's me. true. So that's probably the only one that caught a worse break than, than, uh, than me. But, yeah, I appreciate the birthday wishes, man. Thanks. You bet, man. Uh, we do have a lot of stuff to get into today, so I want to kind of get into it right away. We're going to talk Mavs, Suns off the top, Celtics, Lakers next, Warriors, Nuggets, and the controversy about foul baiting in the NBA. And then we'll wrap up with quick takes on the Bucks, Knicks, and the Sixers heap. Let's do with the top story, or what I perceive to be the top story, which is the Mavericks and the Suns. This was a game that, it's funny because the final score, you look at it, it was close going into the fourth. It was tied, you know, uh, for large portions of the second half. But 128-114 Mavericks win. And to me, it was kind of a pathetic Phoenix Suns showing, I thought, even though it was kind of close. What did you see from this game? And do you kind of agree with me that even though it was close for most of the game, this was kind of a sad Phoenix loss? Yeah, and so, all right, this is the last game of the day. Um, you know, full day of basketball, a lot of, lot of great performances, some, some good games, a lot of storylines. Even in this game, a guy goes for 50 for the fourth time ever. Um, Luka Doncic, who you know, was the star of the, the day, I see you're watching all this, and yet the thing that stood out to me the most, the thing that when I took that pen, as I do whenever I watch a game, I'm going to break it down the next day, and I start writing notes, the thing that jumped out to me, and it wasn't late in the game when it was obvious the Mavs were going to win. This was early in the game in the first quarter. The body language of Kevin Durant. That's that's what I was staring at. And I know like since then, like Adrian Wojnarowski, Woj, my colleague at ESPN, has come out with a report saying that internally – they're concerned because Kevin Durant looks frustrated. I didn't even know that Woj was going to give that report. I'm watching this game in the moment, in the real time, writing down what I'm seeing. Uh, defeatist body language, not energized, not out there saying, look, you know, I'm the best player on the floor. I, you know, we, we have enough here to win this game. It's a marquee game, a lot of eyeballs on this game. I got another star across me. He's not going to outshine me. Get on my back, along with Devin Booker, by the way, another star player, and let's go get this thing done. That's not that wasn't Durant's approach. I didn't recognize him. And look, this is the same guy that a couple years ago in Brooklyn basically took on the Bucks by himself. Okay. Right. And with, with no Kyrie Irving, Harden out there on one leg, and he goes out there and he, he literally tried to will that team over a Milwaukee Bucks team by himself in Brooklyn. And now here we are. You know, we're 29 games in. They come into the game at 500, and it was just obvious he didn't look like he believed that they were going to win the game, could win the game, that he enjoyed who he was playing with, the whole thing. And it's not who Kevin Durant is. One thing I've always said about Durant, you know, you know, love him or hate him or, you know, you want to beat up the decision to go to Golden State, that's fine. That's all debatable topics. He has had some injuries lately. I get it. One thing I've always felt like, this dude loves to ball. He loves right. to play basketball, and he loves to be the best player on the floor. He didn't look like he had that approach at all, and that's what was really jumping out to me. It makes me start to question, 
Like, how's his relationship with Devin Booker? Like, are these dudes tight? Is is Durant really going to look around at this supporting cast and think they don't have enough? Which, by the way, we're gonna, that'll be my next talking point after I let you, you know, address what I just said. Because I want to talk about this supporting cast because I think it's unfair if that's what Kevin Durant's upset about. I get Beal hasn't played. If you're upset about that, that's one thing, man. Keep it compartmentalized to that. Well, I just, you know, frustrated we're losing, but when we get Beal back, we'll be okay. That wasn't what I watched last night. I didn't recognize that, Kevin Durant. And I want to know if you saw the same thing, and what does that say? Like, where are we with the Phoenix Suns and with Kevin Durant right now based on that performance last night? Guy took 11 shots. Grayson Allen is a role player on that team, took <laughs> yeah. 22. That's all yeah. you need to know, okay? So, Adam, I'm curious. First, what were your thoughts in watching that game? I mean, I think that's – I think it was obvious to everyone. You know, the the body language and just sort of the way he was carrying himself. And you mentioned the Woj report. That came out before the game. You know, it was Christmas Day, so there's a lot going on. But that report was before this game took place. So you kind of hear that one. And, look, we've seen some of the comments coming out of the last couple games, post-game, because they're on a little bit of a slide as a team. And you start to go, like, man, things are bad. But it's Christmas Day. You know, Christmas Day almost exists in a vacuum of these are big games. No matter what's going on with your team, a bad team can have a win. It's like everybody's going to take it seriously. And you go watch that game and you see just the way Durant – and you were being more kind than me. I'll call it moping. He moped up and down the court. And you just thought, man, this team looks not just like they have to figure things out, but like they don't want to figure things out. And that's the thing that I think is so concerning. So, yes, 43 minutes and just 11 shots for Kevin Durant it is wild. Uh, it felt like a statement um, and, and it felt like all of the things you were saying. So I think it's real. And to your point, Luka Doncic had one of the best performances in all of Christmas, NBA Christmas history. And yet to me, it was, I didn't even bring it up as I was introducing the topic because I thought it was so um, loud what the Suns were doing and what Kevin Durant in particular was doing. So I'm a hundred percent with you on it. And I think it's scary if you were a Phoenix Suns fan. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, Luka, man. So, you know, we don't have to go back too far to remember a game seven in that building and yep. uh, what they did to that team completely humiliated the Phoenix Suns in a game seven at home of historic significance. I mean, they're 40 in that game, in a game seven. Was that two years ago? Um, yep. And so so here they go. Mark Heat, now it's Christmas, right? The last capper of the Christmas day. And by the way, probably, I don't know what their high ratings are going to pan out. And it is a West Coast time zone. I get it. It's a lot of East Coast people may go to sleep. But I also feel like for a lot of people, man, you miss some of those early games just because you got Christmas activities in your house, family, dinners, like all that stuff's going on. This is one of those games, and, and because of the matchup, there's a little bit of an edginess to these to these two teams, right? You're like, oh, man, i got to check this out. Like, I want to watch this game. So eyeballs are on it. And the way I always describe it, I'm a big dog guy. i got three dogs in my house. And, and when you take a dog into a, a territory, new territory for the first time, right, they like to mark their territory. They're, they lift their yeah. leg on everything, right? I'm yeah. marking my territory. That's what that Luka has done to this team. That's what Luka <laughs> does to this team repeatedly. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yep. The way he carries himself. And look, if he's going to shoot the ball like that off the yep. step back from that distance, like that accurately, you don't have much chance against the Dallas Mavericks because you know he's going to get to the lane when he wants. He's going to pick you apart with his passing. If he's also – and also converting free throws, which has always been an issue for him, uh, for a guy this good to be in the like, mid-70s for his career, free throws doesn't make a lot of sense. Makes all his free throws. Hits, hits a bunch of step-back deep threes with a hand in his face, just completely demoralizes that team. No doubt sensing this energy coming from Kevin Durant. And he just he just took the moment, 
and stomped on them. And that's what great players do. That's what guys with a lot of arrogance and confidence do. That's what Luka did. And, and looking at this other team, Phoenix Suns are put together, and we think this might be the most firepower in the entire league when these three guys play together. And look, they haven't. 24 minutes together all season. I get it. That's why I'm not going to make final judgment on this team until I see it. But man, oh man, what I was watching last night was way deeper than waiting for Bradley Beal. Way deeper than that. Because it's like, what is going on with the interactions here? Is this a Durant maybe not buying into Frank Vogel? Is this Durant and Booker? Like, they're not like, you know, like boys. Like, hey, man, we're going to ride this together. I don't know. I'm not saying that that is the case. Maybe they're super tight. I don't know. But when you see Kevin Durant look like that, it just tells you that the environment is not good there. And it, it's it's really if, – if the report is true about, like, he's frustrated with the supporting cast, Adam, that really <laughs> infuriates me if that's true about Kevin Durant. Right. Like, how much right. do you need, man? How much do you need to go yeah. in? And Because, look, you went to the Warriors, you had a ready-made winner. You guaranteed right. yourself a couple of rings, and you got those, and people have questioned that. Now you leave right. and say, okay – this is your chance now. Well, Brooklyn first, but that obviously was a train wreck. Now this is your chance to really go and get one that's truly yours, where you are the conductor of this train, and you're 14 and 15, 29 games in this year, and you're carrying yourself like that on a Christmas Day game against another star player. Very bizarre, man, the whole thing. And if it is about the supporting cast, I've got a major issue with that. Well, we're 15 years into player empowerment and this free agency super team building, right? And the thing about it is, in the previous eras, a, a player could be stuck under bad management, and we almost feel bad for them. Kevin Garnett, this happened with Kevin Garnett in Minnesota, where we're like, man, this guy's so great, never really had a contending team, unlucky of him to be in that situation. When, with the way that players now can dictate and use their free agency and things to kind of build the team and Teams are more open to listening. Okay, who do you want this or that? You own the team that you get. And I think that's what you're getting at is that Kevin Durant, in a large part, helped build the team in Brooklyn. He goes to Phoenix. He helped build this by wanting to be there and, and hey, this is our new personality of what we're building. So you kind of own. We it's, it's tough to say, hey, we need to make some moves. I don't like the roster. You kind of own it. Whether it's fair or not, you own it when you do when you build a team the way that Kevin Durant has sort of assembled the teams for himself. And so I think there's something there. But to your larger point, you know, Kevin Durant, the Warriors were, they played a team brand of basketball. They moved the ball. Even though Steph Curry was there, the ball popped with them. There were lots of assists. It was exciting to watch. I think Kevin Durant wanted to make a point that, you know, we could win this other way. You get Kyrie Irving himself, James Harden. These are three isolation players. You go to Phoenix, you want to recreate this. And so now this idea of not having enough talent, I always look at it and go, part of being a great player is building a team, not through free right. agency and this or that, but from building the chemistry. How do we play off of each other? And last right. night, part of what's so frustrating about KD and the way he moped up and down the court was almost a denial of, hey, I am actually responsible for the way that uh, Metu plays or the way that Gordon plays or the way that Grayson Allen plays. I'm responsible for that as the star because that's part of being a team. And that's what, to me, is so frustrating about the reports and about the way he carried himself throughout this last week. Yeah, and, and let's let's look, let's look break down the supporting cast that we're talking about here. Okay, first of all, you, you, you lose DeAndre Ayton, and DeAndre Ayton was a guy that had a lot of issues in Phoenix. Okay. He had, he had yep. good production and he's a talented player. There was all kinds of question marks around DeAndre Ayton all the time. 
And sometimes he'd get upset because he never touched the ball. And he wasn't that guy. He wasn't Clint Capella. Go set 100 ball screens and dive to the rim every time. And, you know, you'll get it every 20th time and be happy doing that. That's not who DeAndre Ayton was. He's like, no, man, throw me the ball a few times in a low post. I can score down here. I got a mid-range jump shot. I'm better than that. And every now and then they would incorporate him that way and, like, pacify him. But he never really seemed totally happy. And then you get into the playoffs against Jokic, and you get thrown around like a child. He wanted no part of that fight against Jokic. So they go, they move on. All right, well, let's go replace that. What are you replacing with? How, how about Yusuf Nurkic? That's a solid, productive NBA center. Now, he's not great ball screen defender. He's not as good at defender as DeAndre Aiden. I get it. But he's a guy certainly sets good ball screens. He's a good passer. He hits the offensive glass. He finishes well. Very productive guy. So there's what you replace it with. Now, right. what do you need? What do you need around Beal Booker and Durant? You need spacers. All right, how about we go get Grayson Allen, who, by the way, is more than that. He can slash. He can, he's, right. he's, he's competitive defensively. So you get a pretty solid player, but mainly known for his spot on three-point shooting. Let's go get Eric Gordon. Got, boom. Right, Check thing. that box. Yep. Bring in another yep. guy who, by the way, played great start of the year. You know, in place in place of Beal, like starting, played great. So you go out, you add a couple of shooters. Josh Kogi was a guy last year they were raving about, okay, as a three and D guy that could really guard and knock down corner threes. He's still there. Last time I looked, uh, Watsonabi was a guy that shot a really high percentage in Brooklyn. He hasn't played as well for them and spent spotty minutes. But you tried to address it with another shooter. I mean, look. Kevin Durant, Booker, look, guys, not everybody's going to have the depth and versatility of the Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks or the Denver Nuggets. Those are the teams that expected to win a championship, right? You are too. So maybe you don't think you're quite as loaded up as those teams, but my goodness, when you've got the star talent at the top of this roster, it is your responsibility to make role players play like impact players every night. That's your responsibility as a star player. I don't want to hear another word about their supporting cast when you have that much talent at the top of the roster. I'm sorry. You're trying to create a ready-made winner again, and it doesn't work that way. Make those guys better. And last night, there just was not any competitive will or spirit. And like I said, I don't think I've ever said that about Kevin Durant before, ever in his entire career. I've admired him for that. That wasn't what I watched last night. That's just flat out not from a leadership standpoint, from a competitive standpoint. It's not. And guess who smelled it? Luka Doncic smelled <laughs> of that. And, and then he, what does he decide to do? Well, you know what? If you're going to play like that, you're going to pout around, I'm going to do oh, something. Oh, he said on it. I'll do something epic on the other end. And that's what he did. And he made the showcase his. And it's really yeah. kind of incredible. Kevin Wright was on the floor at home, and Luka Doncic just went in there and just basically just poured water on everything and said, no, 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 this is my building. And based on what happened in games a couple years ago and last night, maybe it really is. They should rename the arena in honor of him. <laughs> he, I mean, he feasted on that. You know, Luca's the type of guy. I mean, Luca's a killer. Luca is a competitor, you know, and I think a super competitor. So when he, when he smells blood in the water, it was like, oh, he was reveling in it. And that's why he hit his threes. But you were mentioning, I, I almost feel like is, you just went in on KD. I almost feel like you're being too soft in this one way. You kept saying only 24 minutes together. I got to wait to see. Is Bradley Beal giving you a better three-point shot than Grayson Allen gave you last night? He made eight threes, eight of 17. You know, their problem is not a Bradley Beal hole. It's not, oh, they need a better floor spacer to play off ball. And by the way, Legs, 
all the things you're saying right now, I thought were true of the playoffs last year. After That series went down in large part because Kevin Durant couldn't figure out how to live, leverage Denver's aggressive double teaming of him into better offense for the team. He actually did a pretty bad job, I thought, of breaking the double team. Well, what is that skill? It's a team skill. It's how do I use what the defense is doing to me to make my team set up better. And he doesn't do that. He didn't do it. And now you get into game this year and as they're getting frustrated and he's looking around saying, well, others got to do this, others got to do that. You've got to find a way to use the other team's aggressiveness against you to your advantage. And that's part of it. And by the way, five turnovers three games ago, seven turnovers two game, uh, last game, and then six turnovers last night. So he's averaging six turnovers over his last three games. That's that's a horrible number. Um, and that is on him directly. And to his credit, he did speak to that after the game, kind of owning the turnover portion of this. But I think the turnovers are just the symptom of the broader thing, which is he is not connected to the success of this team in the way that he needs to be. And by the way... Agree. That's a yeah, great summation. A great summation, right there. What you just said, that last line. That's what it is. And he, you know, he's won a lot of games in his life turning the ball over six times. It's not the turnovers. It's not the turnovers. It's the commitment, the, the emotional and psychological commitment to this. Are you invested yeah. in this in this to that extent? And he was not last night. Yeah. And by the way, and I know I'm reading. Now we're playing pop psychologist, so I don't want to go too far. But here's one thing I'm at least thinking, legs. After the they lost, and again, you mentioned they lost to the Mavs in blowout fashion. In the Nuggets series, they lost in blowout fashion. Like It just it seems to be a trait when things start to go south, they get really ugly for that particular team. And after that series, I remember Devin Booker tweeted out something, the 36 unbothered. Like, me and KD are unbothered by this loss. We're going to bounce back, I guess would be the implication there. And I always thought, like, yeah, but it's not just about you too. It's about the team. Like, what are you guys building there? And I almost just feel this sense of like, well, we're unbothered. We just got to fix out there and it'll come back to us. And I just think, all right, I don't think they're seeing the forest for the trees on this. But to go to the other side, you know who does a phenomenal job, maybe as well as anybody in the NBA, at punishing teams for doubling them? Luka Doncic in the Dallas Mavericks. And last night, that was a game where the Suns doubled Luka Doncic every time. And he made the right plays, obviously, like he always does it every time. And when he didn't have an easy out, he made tough shots, step backs, or just got out of them. But what I liked about them last night, yes, Lively has been phenomenal for them as a roller, and that's a really good pairing. But they also uh, get Derek Jones Jr. rolling to the rim and use him. And I think Derek Jones Jr. is, there's the new mold of NBA player, which is not a center, not a power forward, just a wing player that is good in pick and roll. It's the roll guy because you're going to double off of Derrick Jones Jr.'s guy and throw two on ball at Luka, can he make plays four on three? And he, I think he's really good at that. So I think they have another yeah. weapon in their arsenal of being able to play Derrick Jones Jr. in that rolling role, and now you have switchy defensive lineups. Did you see the same thing from Derrick Jones Jr.? And do you kind of think that's a wrinkle they have now in their back pocket that will become very useful in a playoff series? Yeah, and I think that's just – you're just starting to see the beginning of that. And it's it was obvious to me last night – like Luca is really enjoying that having a guy with legs that lively, right? right? To be able to just throw it up there and go get it, or some of the stuff he advanced it to him in, in transition to the open floor, knowing what's going to happen on the other end. You could just see Luca's sort of connecting to that, responding to that. The other thing about Luca last night, I liked about him. He he did not spend a lot of time with the drama that I that I hate when I watch him and the whining and then not getting the calls and the hands in the air and having conversations with officials when if he if he ran back, he could prevent a break. 
he wasn't doing that either. He was having a lot of fun. I know how tough that must be for opposing teams to have a guy do that to you and be laughing a lot and smiling. It's driving you crazy, but they can't stop it. The thing, the thing that's amazing about Luka Doncic is when you talk about playmaking, like there are guys that, that get a lot of assists and initiate offense a lot in this league, and they leave some, some work on the bone, if it was a rack of ribs, to the guy they gave the ball to. Right? Maybe the guy takes one more rhythm dribble to get into his right. shot, right? Or there's a little bit more to be done. Or they go up, catch a lob, that's a good pass, but then land and take it up on the other side. Every assist I feel like that Luka Doncic gives to his guys, there's nothing left on the bone but to shoot it or dunk it. Like that's right. basically it. Right. He, yep. he because he delivers the ball at, at, at exactly the right time. That that's the obvious play. And look, he holds the ball a lot earlier in the possession, yep. so that by the time it does get to you, there's only one thing left to do. But it's just like he had 50 and 15, and I don't know how many of those assists I don't have it in front of me were threes. But even if all of those were two point baskets, that's 80 points of offense. I'm sure they weren't. Let's say half of those are threes. Let's say seven of those. For threes, that's 87 points of offense generated by one guy directly through scoring or making a pass that was an immediate shot. Think about that. That's the level to which yeah. you know he dominated them last night. Um, and look, sometimes you know you watch them and you, you don't know. I'm just not sure if I believe is this is this going to be something you're going to be able to really win with in the postseason. One thing I do know, they have an identity offensively. I have no idea what Phoenix's identity is. Zero. They have two great offensive players right now that operate independent of each other. They're going to add a third great offensive player that's going to operate independent of those two guys, right? So yeah. they didn't. I don't, know, I don't know if they even needed Bradley Beal to contend if they got a point guard to run the show and organize them and facilitate and lead them. What they're going to try to do is run an offense called "Be Great," and it's going to be you know <laughs> your turn, my turn, your turn. That, that's yeah, what it's going to look like, and hopefully yeah. make enough shots out of these role players on a given night and not be just complete abomination defensively. Be decent defensively, have good three-point shooting, and then these three guys just be better than what you can present defensively. And i got news for you. doesn't work that way, man. The teams that are winning in this league over the last 10, 10 15 years, they're teams that have some sort of semblance of continuity amongst their best players. They work together, whether it was LeBron and Wade with the weak side slashing and stuff like that or transition in Miami – Obviously, Golden State, the way they run their offense with all the moving parts. Uh, you know, Denver, the way that Jokic and Murray and Jokic in general just directs that offense. There's a flow to it, and there's a pecking order to it. And with Phoenix, we have no idea what that pecking order is going to be. But one thing we do know, this is not what a flow of a winning offense is going to look like against the teams you're going to have to beat. And that was really obvious to me over the first, you know, 28 games, and, and more obvious even last night, because now I think there's bigger issues than just waiting on Bradley Beal or the offense not flowing. There's something else going on there. Um, and maybe Kevin Durant, well, well, look, he'll look at himself, be disgusted with the way he acted and played, and maybe you won't see that again this year. I, I, wouldn't, put, I wouldn't put it past him. He's a competitor. But that was bad last night, Adam. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Katie has a lot on the line. He's got to be feeling a lot of pressure now. And, and you know, oh, we yeah. know he's a guy that's online and sees the conversation about him more so than most athletes. So I, I have to imagine he's going to see because our critique is not necessarily unique about how he's playing. But you mentioned Luka Doncic's creative points. It was 82, which, by the way, is a Christmas record. He generated 82 points between scoring and assists. 
never been done on Christmas before. So that's a that's an all-time new record. But real quick, I want to go back because the Mavs, to kind of wrap it up, I actually want to talk about the Mavericks now. The Mavericks have... When you build around Luka, we just talked about shooting off ball with the Suns. Can you get enough spacing? But there is also a playmaking dynamic to this. Can If you're going to double Luka, if, if Luka requires a double team, can you create playmakers around the court? And it was reported uh, by Tim McMahon that the Mavs' planned starting lineup once Kyrie Irving returns is going to be Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, Dante Exum, Derek Jones Jr., and Derek Lively. This is an interesting one, so no Grant Williams here, but I I actually really like this because Kyrie Irving obviously is a really great at attacking a, a, a scrambled defense, right? Luke is going to create that scrambled defense, give it to Kyrie, shoot, drive, whatever, he's going to attack you. Dante Exum is a phenomenal decision maker. He's not great at creating the that advantage, but you give him a scrambled defense and he'll find the open man. Derek Jones Jr., we just talked about being good at, at at playing that role and then Lively being good there. I look at that and I go, I feel like I know what the Mavericks' plan is this season. That's their plan, is to put all these playmakers around Luka so that he can do what he does. And when he gets the ball out of his hands, you're getting it to someone who knows what to do with it. And I don't know if that's a winning formula, you know, to go all the way to the title. I don't know if the talent level is there. But I do think it's the right idea. Playmakers. Not necessarily just shooters, but playmakers around them. What do you think of that plan? Yeah, look, I, I I hear what you're saying about the plan. I agree. That is the plan. It sounds like the one thing I, I, that I would say about that starting five, if that's going to be the group, um, that's not any three – there's no three-point shooting around those two guys. Now, if Luka – okay, if Luka's yeah. making his, then that, that's a whole other element. You have that. And Kyrie's, Kyrie's going to you know hit a couple probably too. But Exum's like 31% for his career. Um, he's not a guy that's going to space out well against them. Now, look, you got Hardaway coming in right off the bench, um, who's going to be able to, to give you a lot of that. And they're hoping for. That's the only thing I don't like about that lineup. But I do like the fact that you've got Lively and Jones out there together as two guys that are active and they can make something out of nothing just with their athletic ability and Luca's vision. And where they benefit so much, what Luca does better than any player in the NBA. Because a lot of these guys that are great at drawing attention and are great passers, like LeBron, Jokic, Luka, like they're all that, that, in that vein of player. What he does better than anybody is freeze you with his eyes. And he yep. he's so patient with an extra count. When that ball comes up above his head, when there's traffic, you know, some guys just want to get rid of it. When there's two guys in their face, like get it to the next open jersey. Luka will hold it, move the backline defender that's rotating, try to get into a passing lane for a steal. He'll move that guy with his eyes and hold that ball as long as he possibly can to finally deliver it so that there can be no reactive time to get to the shooter or get to the lob guy. It's really incredible. I don't think I've ever seen anybody do it better, honestly, the way he freezes you like that. And that is exactly where guys like Lively and Derek Jones are going to benefit with some weak side slashes or late lobs because he holds it to just the right time until the defense is so spread out that they can't recover back to it. So, look, I, I, I was super impressed by the way they played. I know we beat up the Suns at the beginning. Let's, let's give a lot of credit to Dallas, man, because this was the last night of Christmas night, a marquee game, and you went in there and owned them, and yeah. your best player was incredible, and every, everybody up and down that roster contributed. And the, the, the belief they have around that guy was so evident last night.
<laughs> it's so true. They definitely have a lot of belief in them. And as a result, Mavs are in the five seed currently, 18 and 12, uh, and doing a lot of that, you know, without Kyrie Irving, which has been very impressive. All right, let's take a break. On the other side, we got to get to the Lakers, who have a new starting lineup, and it's not starting starting games very well. We'll get to all of that and more on the other side. Also talk about the Nuggets game, talk about the Bucks and Heat as well. But first, I got to tell you about the presenting sponsor of our show today and every day. It is, of course, DraftKings Sportsbook. We have bowl season coming up with college football. Uh, lots of games. One of the best things to bet on every year is on the college bowls because there's so many different games. You can do that now on DraftKings Sportsbook. And if you sign up right now and place a bet, you win 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting five bucks. It's an instant dub for you no matter what. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ALLNBA. New customers get 100 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball or whatever you want to bet on. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-7877. Hold on a second. They spell this out to make it so hard. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, back here, segment two. Let's talk a little Celtics and Lakers. Um, the Celtics, impressive in their ability to get threes up, although not necessarily impressive in their ability to make them in this particular game, but they spread you out and they get the win over the LA Lakers, who I thought, I mean, Anthony Davis played well. You had a good game from LeBron, but the Celtics pick up the road win 126 to 115. They go two for two out there uh, in Los Angeles. What did you see here uh, from the Celtics on Christmas Day? I think what I saw was, you know, why right now they're the best team in the NBA. They, they've got... the. They, Outside of the two stars, um, and Tatum wasn't great, 6 for 15 for 25 points, did get to the line a ton. Jalen Brown, 7 for 17, 19 points. Those are substandard nights for, for those two guys. But what they have is the rest of that starting five. When you talk about Porzingis, Holiday, and Derek White, and these guys are all have all been additions over the last two years to a team that was already really close. And they went out and they added so much versatility, not only – defensively because all three of those guys impact the game there but even offensively their versatility because you know Derek White can beat you off the dribble he can shoot a mid-range he can shoot threes at a high rate catch and shoot or off the dribble Drew Holiday can muscle you into the paint at will and live yeah. there or he can take take a three off the dribble if you go under a pick and make that and then Porzingis you know with his spacing or as he and I thought this is one of his best games I've seen him play this year uh, he was yeah. he was the difference between the two teams to me um, with yep. everything he was doing catching lobs, shooting threes, posting up for and ones, incredible rim protection. I mean, he did it all in one game. Um, and it was just looking at those three guys around the two stars, and I'm going, wow, you get 64 points out of those three guys. And that level defense, because White, Holiday, Przingis, all three of those guys can make a major difference on the defensive end of the floor. It's the versatility. It's the two-way, multi-dimensional players. And so those three guys, when you talk about beyond the stars, are so much better than the next three guys for the Lakers. And that is what stood out to me. Because, look, a lot of nights, Tatum, LeBron – I'm sorry, 
LeBron AD, Tatum Brown, they're probably going to cancel each other out if they play each other 10 times, right? The, the production that those four guys give, it's going to be it's going to be canceled out almost, right? So what yeah. about the next layer? Well, the next layer is so much significantly better for Boston. And that is what that game revealed to me. Because look, most times when Anthony Davis plays that hard, and I give him credit, he showed up last night ready. You know, yeah. Anthony Davis, you know, always questioning that. It's Christmas. Hey, who knows, man? You know, this guy got up late, opened some presents, you know, showed up the arena, wasn't in the mood to play. Who knows? No, 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 no. That wasn't AD last night. He came to play. They usually win those games. And they they really has controlled this game when they needed to. Um, and that's what LeBron alluded to after when he talked about we're not on that level right now. He was honest yeah. and accurate in that statement. And I, and I didn't feel like he was calling out for more help like like Durant seems to be. I don't think that's what he was saying. He's just saying, like, look, that that's the barometer right now. A team like that, a team like Denver, that's the barometer. We're not there right now. And we got a lot of work to do. That's kind of the way I took what he had to say. Um, but the difference between the two teams is just the, the, the next level beyond the top two stars is so much better for the Boston Celtics in the way that those three guys affect the game. Let me ask this, though, because while I agree with you, especially if we just go up and down the roster, one of the things that I thought was interesting last night was, well, one, they made the decision to let Anthony Davis play one-on-one -on -one a, a decent amount in this game. So he does go off. To your point, he was aggressive, 15-26 to 26 for 40 points. That's a good game. But maybe it's a smart game plan when you can crowd the paint because you're not as worried about the shooters. But it's also nice when you can crowd the paint with Kristaps Porzingis. And I think a sneaky underrated story about uh you talk about the evolution of the game one thing a lot of teams are doing right now is using their center or their best rim protector off ball not on you know porzingis is not guarding anthony davis for most of this game you put even tatum on him in large portions and then you use chris taps porzingis as a deterrent to the rim so you're forcing sh uh, shots outside the paint a little bit more so i thought that was a big storyline of yes you're right that the lakers supporting cast wasn't as good but being able to put Porzingis as a roamer also makes it harder for you to generate downhill, you know, collapse the defense or what have you. So I think that's a big storyline of this game. And I think it's going to be the Celtics. What we saw from the Celtics defensively against the Lakers, I think is going to be the game plan against uh, Milwaukee and against Philadelphia in particular when they say, all right, try to break this down. And are you just going to end up going to posting up Anthony Davis a lot? If so, we're going to outscore you. I think that's a great observation. And I think when you look at um, what they were doing, being able to guard Anthony Davis with some other guys that are a little bit smaller defenders like forwards or wings, yeah. um, they were able to crowd him. Because the one area that Porzingis can't help in that situation is if Anthony Davis just rises up and shoots a 15-foot jumper over the right. top of those guys, Porzingis can't help in that situation. But because Tatum is legitimately 6'9", and, right. and he's just long and, he, and, he, and he's, he's, he's wiry strong. He can sort of take that space away and force AD then to go into backy down mode or to try to beat him toward the rim you know, with his first step. That's where Porzingis is back there lurking. So I do agree. I thought it was a pretty good strategy on their part. Um, this was one of the most active games. You're going to find a center play, man, defensively. I just thought Porzingis was such a difference maker. He was everywhere. And, and it tangibly – on the in the box score, how many blocks did they give him? Yeah, they gave him two. He had to have another eight to ten alters. That he clearly was the difference between someone getting off a shot they were confident in and someone just getting something up there 
to avoid getting it blocked. And, and you, yeah. you know, you watch the game, you know, I don't make a note of those necessarily. Maybe next time I will, because I felt like he completely altered that end of the floor for the Lakers with his defensive presence. And he was running the floor and changing ends in transition offensively to get some finishes there too. He just can't say enough about the way he played, man. He was, he was sensational. And uh, that's why a lot of people right now feel like, Hey, I know you got to go through Denver, but as we sit here today, the day after Christmas, is Boston considered the best team in the league? And for me right now, they are. And they get a lot from Derek White. We talked about him the other day, but 18 points, 11 assists, and I thought he was phenomenal as well. He adds that element of downhill pressure, um, and it makes a huge impact. But the story to me, outside of the things we just talked about, and maybe even uh, bigger than those, is the Lakers go to a new starting lineup. The Lakers are trying to figure out who they are because they've been on this slide since the in-season tournament. And I think they're looking at their like, okay, what are we if we're going to win a title? How do we get there? And the answer is defense, right? You have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. You probably should be able to build a really nice defensive team. When they won the title in the bubble, they were a defensive team. So they're going to try to recreate that. And you can't do that with D'Angelo Russell. I've, I was surprised. I mean, D'Angelo Russell cost them the Nugget series. He was the guy the Nuggets were begging stayed on the court last year in the playoffs. So they say, okay, LeBron James, our point guard. We're going to run Torian Prince as our shooting guard. Cam, uh, we're going to go with uh, 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 my God, Cam Reddish, uh, you know, there at the small forward, Anthony Davis, and then Vanderbilt. That'll be our starting lineup. They got murdered to open the game, 12 to 0 to start. And I think it was like 30 to 12 or something at some point. It was a horrible start. And I look at that one and I go, you better be able to defend, which they were not able to do against a very good Celtics offense in this game. But how are you going to really shoot the ball around LeBron and Anthony Davis with that core? You're begging Cam Reddish and Torian Prince to be hot every night, and those guys just aren't that type of shooter, in my opinion. So do you buy this new lineup, and do you think it just needs time, or do you think this is a get bad strategy from the Lakers? No, that won't be that won't be the lineup eventually. It won't be. And and, and their, their net rating in, uh, to start games in the first quarter with whatever unit hasn't been good. So for whatever reason, right. they've been bad at the start of games. Right? They dig themselves holes. It's pretty frequent when it happens. Most of their shooting is coming off the bench. They don't have a lot in the in the starting line. And maybe they think that they, hey, this is the way to go about it. LeBron and AD are going to get all the touches early anyway. Right. Um, yeah. Maybe before teams settle into their double team schemes, so let those guys take the shots. We'll start the game with a defensive mindset with Vanderbilt and and Reddish um, and Torian Prince. We'll we'll get into people and do that. Problem is you don't have any shooting. So if LeBron and AD aren't cooking early, you know, and those guys sometimes, LeBron especially, he doesn't come out necessarily out of the gate as a high-volume first-quarter shot taker. That's not really who LeBron is. And so if that's the case, you could dig yourself some holes with the lack of three-point shooting, particularly when you play a team like Boston that could bury you from there before you even know the game started. So I, I, I agree the, 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 the data says this might not work, and I think eventually you're going to see a, some sort of different – combination in there. I know they love us. They love Austin Reeves coming off the bench. Um, but maybe right. Austin Reeves is a guy that ends up being a starter because of his versatility, his shooting, another playmaker to take some of the pressure off of LeBron to have to do that right from get-go. Um, that might be a place that you would go look as well. Or, or D'Angelo Russell possibly being inserted back in there just to be used as a three-point shooter primarily with that lineup. So, look, the Lakers are an interesting team because of this, how they've played since the in-season tournament. And everybody's saying, oh, what? what's going on Lakers? I still think part of that is it's just not that important to them. The regular season, this group, who we're talking about, it's just not that important. 
That doesn't mean you can come out of the 10 spot and run through the West. I, I hear you, Lakers fans, but they just don't have that level of readiness that a lot of teams in this league have that are still kind of grabbing turf of who they are. Lakers don't really feel that way. So the regular season is going to be this roller coaster ride, and they're going to try to get their act together later when it matters and have momentum going into the playoffs and probably, most likely, do something at the trading deadline to, to supplement their roster. And they just got news that Gabe Vincent's going to be out for a while, which usually you wouldn't think a player of that caliber is a huge impact, but I think they need him because you look at this and go, one of my questions was, can can the Lakers build an, a defensive, a, a two-way lineup? Can they build a great two-way lineup? And to your point, Austin Reeves, I think, helps that a lot. So they'll close with him. But I don't know that they have a, a one through five that you look at and go, okay, that's a good two-way. They're either going to be defensive or offensive, and they're going to plug all holes. I don't think they have a single one, let alone enough to fill up a 48 minutes of a game. So that's my big take on the Lakers, and I th thought you saw it in this game. I actually thought it was a decent game from the Lakers, and it wasn't particularly yeah. close. Nine points going into the fourth, and I don't feel like the Lakers were leaving points on the board. I kind of felt like that was more or less what you should expect from the Lakers, um, given that matchup. Let's take a quick break. On the other side, we got to get to the Nuggets talk. Uh, there's a lot to get to on the game, but also, maybe even more interestingly, the postgame. Uh, there were some comments from Steve Kerr that I thought were interesting. But first, we're just a handful of days. What are we, five days away from the start of a new year? New year, new you. That could be the case this year if you're looking to be better planned out throughout the week with your meals or if you're looking to maybe stick to a diet as you start the new year, drop some weight. Well, I got the company for you. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service can help you eat well for breakfast, lunch, or dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. And I'm telling you, these things are good. They put up a new menu every single week. They got all these options, 35-plus chef-crafted meals uh, every week that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, whether it's calorie smart, vegan and veggie, protein plus, or a whole lot of other options there. Uh, keto, if you're on the keto diet or wanting to get on it just to drop some weight, They've got all of those options for you up on their website. So every week you go on, you select what you want. They get delivered straight to your door and boom, you've got your meals. Two minutes to prep for them in the microwave and then they're ready to go and you got your meals for the week. So right now head to factormeals.com slash allmba50 and use code allmba50 to get 50% off. The link is right in the description of the show on podcast app and on YouTube. So if you want to go the quick way, you can just use that. But that's code allmba50 at factormeals.com slash allmba50 to get 50% off. All right, back here with Tim Legler for segment three. Let's talk a little bit Nuggets-Warriors. I thought this was a pretty good game, although it was kind of a little bit of a choppy, ugly one, but I thought it was a competitive game for both teams. Michael Porter Jr. was a huge X factor in this one. He had a career-high four block shots. He also made some shots early to give Denver a nice little cushion. Um, and then never, the, the real story was the Nuggets in the clutch. They're so hard to beat in the clutch because, in my opinion, they have the best two-man game in the NBA and Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, and they slammed the door shut in the fourth quarter with a dominant final seven minutes of this game, and they get the win 120-114. to 114. What stood out to you about this game? Yeah, well, first I want to just tailgate on the point you just made about the two-man game and why you know you have so much confidence in them in a close game. I'll, I'll even put it a different way. There is no player in the league that guarantees you um, a, a quality possession when you need it more than Nikola Jokic, period. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and, and, that, and whatever that means, whatever that means, if that means he's going to house somebody in the post and, and, and get something good for himself, if that's the matchup calls, if he's going to run some two man, if he's going to pick you apart with a pass to a cutter or a three point shooter, it just, you feel so safe to, hey, this trip, this is a big trip. They're going to get a good shot. I mean, it's going to go in. 
They're going to have a quality possession. They're not going to look like they're scrambling at all, late in the clock trying to get one up. No, that's not what happens to Jokic. So I agree with you. It's a close game. you got to love it. Um, you said Michael Porter Jr., one of the biggest X factors uh, in the game. He's one of the biggest X factors in the league every single night he plays. Yeah. When Michael Porter Jr. is is that active and noticeable, right? I feel like when I'm saying his name a lot or writing his name in my notes a lot, Nuggets are going to win the game, right? Because yeah. it's just like, well, now what are you supposed to do? Like this guy – Especially when he when he's hitting the glass, you know, and he's he's a good rebounder for his position, for like a sort of slightly built small forward with some weight. He he is a good rebounder. Some nights he's a great rebounder, and when he's a great right. rebounder, a whole other element to their team. He's he is so much better defensively than he was early in his career, um, and in his effort, his accountability to it, he's clearly paying attention to scouting reports at a higher level. He's more locked in. Um, he, he played great, and when he does, they're very, very difficult team to beat um, because you've already got so many other things that you're trying to deal with, with with those other three guys, and particularly Jokic. So that's what I saw. I saw Porter Jr. being a difference in this game. I thought Golden State miraculously was in the game without Draymond and Clay and Steph, neither one of them having a big shooting night. So you, you, yeah. you put that on paper against Denver in Denver – you're saying to yourself, well, that's got to be a 20-point game. How how could they possibly be in the game? Well, very simply, their bench was sensational. It, their bench was incredible. Wiggins uh, came in the game, game 22. Chris Paul played very well. Sarich played really well. Their bench was fantastic. Um, yeah. And that was really the difference in them staying in it and at least giving them a chance in a one-possession game with six minutes to go that Denver ends up pulling out. I thought so. Two other things. One, you mentioned Steph Curry. KCP has done a phenomenal. I mean, KCP has been an underrated defender, I think, for most of his career. But this year in particular might be his best defensive season yet. He's been incredible. And Steph Curry just one made basket, only four points at halftime, uh, and that was a lot of just. KCP is so good at fighting through screens, so good at staying disciplined and focused on the game plan, which you have to be against Steph. It's not first and second effort; it's third, fourth, and fifth effort. And he did that all game. Steph Curry, just 18 points on 21 shots. You're going to win almost every time that happens. He was a minus 26. And then the size of Golden State. Usually we think size going up against the Nuggets, they're going to be too small. They were too small, obviously, against Jokic, although they did a good job, I thought, of making things hard on him. Looney does a good job one-on-one -on -one against him. But their size against Denver's second unit and against Denver's guards, they stayed in this game in the in the early part of the fourth quarter in large part because Wiggins was too big for Jamal Murray. Uh, Kaminga, who I've complained about him not using his size advantage very often, I thought did a good job of that in this one. So I noticed something about it. Okay, draw Jokic out of the paint, and now let's attack Denver's wing players in the post. Not usually a strategy you want to do, but Wiggins is built to do that. He's so tall, he's so long, and he jumps so high. He was killing Jamal Murray, I thought, inside. And I just thought that was an interesting wrinkle. If these two teams match up in a playoffs, which you look at the standings, it's a, there's a good chance that that could be the matchup in the first round. I just thought that would be something that you could say, okay, they have a size advantage on the wings, even though they're size deficient at center. Yeah, well, the key is this. You're talking about Wiggins and Kaminga. You know, they're longer physically on paper, but do they always play that way? They don't always play that nope. way, particularly yep. Kaminga. Kaminga, Kaminga and his, look, he's in a good stretch right now. And I, you know, he was a guy that I loved coming out, loved him all the way through his first like year, year almost two full years in the league, started to have some doubts because it's just like, why is this not happening like a little bit more often? Um, 
give him credit then. If I start to question him, I got to give him credit. Right now, he's in a great stretch for them. And, and it's like, the, yeah. it feels like the coaching staff finally is starting to trust him more. But the one thing he still does not do consistently is beat up a switch when he's got a 6'4 or 6'5 right. guy on him. He doesn't really feel comfortable catching the ball at like 10 feet with his back to the basket and understanding how to utilize that strength and athleticism to get something quality going to the rim to, when it forces them to foul him or make a great play on him at the rim. He'll take a weird off-balance shot at the wrong foot or he'll rush a turnaround jumper or he'll try to spin too quickly and lose the ball. So, so he's got to get more comfortable with that. So if Wiggins and Kaminga as wings – get to play against like second unit or second tier guards that are smaller. If they can punish them that way and get quality shots, go over the top inside of 10 feet. Totally agree with you. Just don't see it consistently enough to know if that's like a formula for them going forward. That's going to pay off. Yeah. And I, and the other guy we did, I didn't mention was Dario Saric. Who's another guy that knows how to use his size advantage, you know, against switches or down, down low. And he was another guy that made an impact. Um, so that was a big story. Jamal Murray continues. He hasn't played a lot. I, it's funny because I cover the Nuggets. They're 22 and 10. And I hear a lot about Jokic down year. Are the Nuggets haven't really been on the radar. And I look at this and I go, they're 22 and 10 with the hardest schedule to date. And, and Murray's missed more than half the games. Murray to me looks like he's getting his legs back. He goes three of five from three and he's shooting 45% on from three so far this season. And it doesn't, when you watch him, look, obviously there's a chance that regresses over the course of the year, but you watch him and it just looks natural. He looks confident. He looks like he's getting the shots he wants and he's stepping into them with confidence. And then there's just nobody in the clutch that is more excited and ready for those moments. He lives for those moments in the clutch and him and Jokic just take care of business. But the story that's going to make national news is that Nikola Jokic took 18 free throws. He made all 18, a perfect 18 of 18 from the field. It was a career high. Last year, Lakes, I'm so close to this that I have to get your opinion because I'm going to be too biased on this. Jokic has played more minutes, I believe, in the NBA than anybody besides Mikael Bridges. I think that's the only person over the last five years that's played more. Last year, the fifth game in seven days was at Milwaukee, and Jokic sat it out, and it became a, a talking point. NBA players are load managing too much, and Jokic became the face of it somehow despite playing more games than anyone. Last night, he gets a career-high 18 free throw attempts, and Steve Kerr says, guys are, are, are foul hunting too much. They're foul baiting. I think he has a point. I just think it's hilarious that Jokic is the guy that he thought to go to to make this point uh, on this specific night. But what do you think both about – you could tell me if you thought Jokic was foul hunting or foul baiting last night. But also, do you think it's a problem in the NBA at large that guys are so rewarded to hunt for fouls? Well, okay, so I'll, I'll answer the second part first. Yes, I do think – I do think the officiating tends to lend itself toward guys that are good at selling it. Okay. Yep. I, I do, th I do think that and guys are good at it. Uh, the league, listen, the league has been set up in a way to allow as much freedom of movement as possible. So there are more touch type calls on a given night than ever before in this league and, and yep. teams get into the bonus. You know, you got five minutes left, four minutes left in a quarter and teams are in the bonus star players are going to take advantage of that man. And they're going to try to gobble up some free throws because they're easy points to be had. Okay, particularly on a night when Jokic didn't have a great offensive rhythm. He really wasn't scoring the ball from the field. Uh, it was four field goals on the night. So on nights like that, and you know you can get into the bonus, you've got four minutes left in a quarter, you're going you're gonna to do what you have to to sell some calls. So to answer your question there, yes, I do think that it is something that goes on in the league. I watch a lot of games 
where I'm going, man, I cannot believe the way this game is officiated. It feels like there's a whistle every trip and guys are getting rewarded for stuff. So yeah, I do think that is something that's more prevalent in the league. I agree, though, with what you're saying. In this particular game, to be to express frustration after when you're talking to that particular player, the data just doesn't back it up because uh, Jokic, people would be surprised when you think of the way he plays and like as much time as he spends in the paint in the post, he averages four and a half free throw attempts a game for his career. Okay, the last three years right. he's been north of six. He's right around six three years in a row. His career average is four and a half. You know, how does that stack up with some other guys that play? You know, right. Well, let's just go with the other two players in this league right now that he's going to yeah. constant conversation with, right, about MVP. Joel Embiid, five times in his career, five seasons in his career, has averaged 10 or more free throws a game, and including for his career, 10 or more a game. Giannis has five seasons where he's averaged 10 or more free throw attempts per game, right? You're talking about a guy that goes there six times a night, man. He's only taken double – I looked it up – double-figure free throw attempts this year six times. The entire yeah. season has he had 10 or more free throw attempts. This isn't the right guy to, to draw the attention to. I understand why Kirk did it. He was frustrated. It was a game that really they had no business winning, and yet they played well enough really to win. They could have won they that yep. game. If Curry or Thompson play a little bit better, maybe they do win the game. And yep. I think Kirk kind of felt like, man, you know, they, they got a five-game winning streak coming in. We got a lot of momentum. This was winnable. We didn't get it. And Jokic is going to the line a lot in the second half, kind of stalling everything down in the game. So he expressed his frustration, but, but it's, and it's almost like you make Jokic the poster child for this. No chance. He's not yeah. the guy that you make the poster child for this. Yeah. He was 18 for 18 last night. That's an anomaly for Jokic. He just does not go to the line anywhere near as much as some other guys in this league that are selling calls consistently. I, the story to me, cause I agree with you. It is a problem. You're too incentivized to hunt for fouls, but Christmas I'm around family, right? I'm talking to people the the normies you guys like you and i we're so into the into basketball that we're gonna watch anything we'll watch a bad game you know but i'm talking to my normie family friend uh family members and they're watching these games and going this is so boring <laughs> watching all these fouls and watching watching the way the game is yeah. officiated it was brought up multiple times of like man this game is so slow and boring it wasn't just the nuggets game it was all the games so i do think the league has an ep you know a fouling epidemic and when you're around casual sports fans who tune in and say okay what's the nba all about right now let's tune it in and they see that many free throws they go this is boring who wants to watch free throws over and over again so it perked up on my radar being around non-diehard nba fans today um let's or yesterday let's quickly though get to these other two games i want to talk about milwaukee uh be uh i'm sorry the the knicks beating milwaukee and they get a big production out of jalen brunson and i think it's me and this is my one note from this game it's meaningful to me that Brunson has had so much success against the Milwaukee Bucks, putting up huge numbers. He goes 15 of 28. And I say it's meaningful to me because I've long talked about Damian Lillard and Malik Beasley are your backcourt. You are very vulnerable to good scoring guards, especially good pick and roll scoring guards, if that's going to be the backcourt you roll out there and try to win a championship. I don't think this game means a whole lot in the grand scheme of things about the Bucks. You know they're going to have to figure it out, but that is their vulnerability, and the Knicks exploit that vulnerability. They do, and I, look, Brunson. You know, man, I thought it was a clinic yesterday in his pace and controlling the game. And it, you know, a team like Milwaukee, two things you're expecting to happen in that game as you're watching it. One, okay, they're going to figure out a way to somehow affect this guy, and he never, they never did. He just right. for 48 minutes, 
Jalen Brunson operated at the same exact sort of pace, efficiency, and got to where he wanted to on the floor. And he always seems to make the right decision when he comes off a ball screen. He always makes the right decision on a pull-up, whether it should be a three or mid-range. He makes a decision when he should go ahead and, and then put on the accelerator and try to get to the rim to finish, and he makes the right decision to, to sort of probe and then and then kick out. He just He's just so comfortable in it. Milwaukee didn't affect him at all. That's one. And two, I kept saying, all right, there's going to be a run. Like, where's the run? Run never really happened. I mean, they, they, got, they got a token run there at the end. and It wasn't really like you felt that the Bucs were threatening in this game. And it made me think about the Bucs differently. Like, they don't really affect you defensively the way they used to. Like, this was a team when they had the number one seed in the league a couple times. Like, you were like, man, they could suffocate you defensively. And now they've become more a team that's like, they're going to they're gonna bomb you out with threes or just this massive offensive talent with Giannis and Lillard. And they don't really do those hard hat type things defensively that they used to. And that's why Rick, that's why um, Jalen Brunson was able to operate in a space of comfort all day. Yeah. So that's, that's, then by the way, this is, we're talking about the one time they've lost uh, to the Knicks this year. They are three and one. They play one more time. They're going to play five times this year. So take it all with a grain of salt, but Jalen Brunson in those games, 38, 36, 24, and 45, like he's had good scoring games. And by the way, 50% are better, almost 60% in the three, uh, three of the four games. So it is a vulnerability. And then in this game, I talked to you about how much I like uh, Bochamp and Andre Jackson Jr. Both of them not very effective in this game, uh, which is noteworthy, right? They kind of, in my opinion, they need those guys to really develop over the course of the season and it feels hot takey to say this to about a team that's 22 and eight, but their title hopes might rest on those two guys and their development throughout the course of the season. So it's just something to watch on a night where neither one of them that played well, um, they, they lose. And then lastly, we'll talk just very briefly about the other game. No star in this game, no Embiid, no Butler, but the Heat and the 76ers match up. And the story was, this is my, this is my story for this game. Tyrese Maxey plays 44 minutes and gets 12 points, which is insane only sits for four minutes of this game, goes four of 20 and kind of gets shut out. Now, some of this was just bad. He had some wide open looks that he did not make. But I look at Miami and I say, the one thing Miami does, they seem to make life difficult for whatever it is you're good at. We're going to make that, we're going to take that away. And now we'll see what other things you have. And obviously with no Embiid, it's easier to hone in on Tyrese Maxey. But to me, this is just what the Heat do. They always make star players have bad games. And by the way, Legs, what did I tell you two weeks ago? Embiid seems to always miss the tough ones. At Miami, let's add it to the list. At Boston, at Minnesota, at New Orleans, at Miami. Those are the four losses, the games he's missed this year. Um, but yeah, that's my thing. Miami makes takes away or makes difficult the thing you're most comfortable doing, and that was Tyrese Maxey. Oh, man, I can see you got a where-are-you Joel bumper sticker on your car right now, man. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what. And look, look, you – you raised this topic. It's a pattern. I kind of, it's a pattern. I'm starting to kind of go, well, wait a second now. Uh, look, this game was 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 a lot more about the fact that he didn't play. It's, you know, yep. okay. How are, you supposed to, how are you supposed to judge this game? But the story of the game was, was Hawkes, who just continues yep. um, to, to grow oh, even. Yeah. Like, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, wow, man, this rookie's mature and polished. And he's in their rotation. And he's playing heavy minutes for them. And this is a whole other thing, man. You know, when you come out, in a game with a lot of hype, a lot of attention, a lot of eyeballs on, it's a marquee day for the league. You come out and you put up 31, you know, your career best game so far, you know, 40% of the way through your rookie year. Cannot say enough about him. This is more about these last two games we just talked about, more about 
look at the Knicks. Look at the Heat, man. Because so, we're trying to figure out, like, you got Boston, Milwaukee, Philly right there hovering about. We're always wondering, like, wh what's that next group look like? You got Orlando yeah. in there. You got Miami there. You got New York in there. And, and right now, Knicks and Heat, right, those are two teams very impressive on Christmas Day. Uh, so you're looking at good things out of them as we go into uh, the new year. And it's a bummer that these two teams don't play each other again until February 14th, which is the game, the yeah. last game before the All-Star break. Because I, this is a matchup I want to see. I would not be surprised if this was a matchup we see in the playoffs. You know, these two yeah. teams are kind of slated to go there. And to be honest, if I'm Philadelphia, I hate this matchup. I'm a little concerned yeah. about this matchup because they may. It, it always has been a problem for them. And it, it's the I got asked this question on uh, my other TV interviews on ESPN. Uh, what what matchup that you saw Christmas is most likely to repeat itself in a playoff series? And I, this is the one I picked. I think yeah. I said this this actually could happen because we're just looking at mathematically. I think there's a very good chance Philly finishes third. Heat are going to be right there. And it could be in that sixth spot, man. And, yeah. and and there's a history there. And and look, you know, there's this this won't be James Harden in a Philly Miami series this time around. Just can't blame him because he had a right. lot to do with why he lost to them the last time around. But there's something about Miami going up against them, and especially Jimmy Butler, that presence going back into Philadelphia. There's something about it that has given the Sixers fits. Uh this yeah. one was down in Miami, but uh that is definitely a matchup to keep an eye on. Always entertaining. There's something more there. That's all I want when I watch a regular season game. I want a little something more than just yeah. the matchups. Give me something. I think this has a little bit of that. And unfortunately, we didn't get to see Embiid uh, partake. Yeah. And, and my last note on this one as we get out of here, you mentioned Jaime Jaquez. A lot of young players, a lot of rookies, they do like one thing really well and you say, okay, there it is. That's the thing. The thing about Jaime Jaquez, he's such an all-around player, man. He looks like such a veteran, and you watch him in this game, he was just so impressive. 31 points, 10 rebounds. You know who he looked like, Legs? Jimmy Butler. He kind of, no. Jimmy Butler not there, put Jaime Jaquez in the Butler role and let him cook, and he did that. So, um, big Christmas slate. We touched on all games. Phoenix Suns, man, I'm worried about them. They've, they've really looked bad, and I'm glad we spent half the show on them. But, Legs, happy birthday to you. Thanks for taking time out of your birthday to come on. What a dedicated professional. Of course, man. Of course. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to spend it any other way, Adam. You know that. Talking hoops, man. Talking hoops. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take tomorrow off. We're going to be back Thursday, though. And then, of course, back on Friday as well as we round out the week. Do us a favor. Subscribe, rate, review wherever you uh, get your podcasts. And check us out on YouTube. Hit that like button. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Like the mayor.